This is the Marriage, Kids, and Money podcast with Andy Hill, session number 66. This show is dedicated to helping you strengthen your family tree and live financially free. Thank you for being here. Complete debt freedom can allow you to do amazing things, my friends. You can pursue your passions, you can craft the direction of your day, and spend more time with the ones you love. Our guest today, Vincent Puglisi, is the walking, talking proof of what complete debt freedom can do for your life. Vincent is a Pittsburgh-based freelance photographer that recently wrote a book called Freelance to Freedom. This is his personal account of how he went from $140,000 in debt to completely debt-free and owning his photography business. I absolutely loved talking with Vincent because his situation is incredibly relatable. He is proof that you don't need millions of dollars to have the freedom you desire. He and his wife now only work on their photography business about 30 days out of the year. It's incredible. It's more time for them to spend with their family and live the life they want. After our time with Vincent, we're going to be highlighting another Money Master of the Week. But first up, let's learn from author, entrepreneur, and debt-free dad, Vincent Puglisi. Hello, everybody. I've got an excellent guest today, Vincent Puglisi. How's it going, Vincent? Doing great. How are you doing? I am great. Thanks so much for taking the time to chat today about your new book, Freelance to Freedom. I'm very excited about learning about it. But first off, let's talk about you and your family. Tell us a little bit about uh, the Puglisi clan. Yeah, we are here in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. We, uh, my wife Elizabeth and I have married 15 and a half years, and we have three boys. They are 12, 10, and 6. We homeschool. We've homeschooled for the last three years. Um, and we really uh, we're very fortunate. To be able to, like, I get to now live our life to where I'm having breakfast with them. We have lunch every other day, whatever. We're, we're together often, which is, the, which is the way that we wanted it. That's great. Uh, so it's a pretty fun time right now. Excellent. And you said your firstborn was uh, Andrew, right? Yes. Oh, I'm liking, I'm liking this family story right? already. That's my name. So we're good. <laughs> it's a good, that's why we chose. We didn't know you, but that's why we chose. There you go. There you go. Good networking. Right. I love it. <laughs> so uh, tell us a little bit about Freelance to Freedom. Can you get, just give us a little high, le- high level overview of what the book's all about? Yeah, it's about like I was, I don't, I didn't even know how it turned into a book. To be quite honest with you, it was something where, you know, we had basically built this career. There's so much backstory to it, and we'll get into it. But essentially, like, we had built this life of freedom that we, we, we had dreamed of. And it was very difficult coming from the newspaper industry and the journalism world and the two of us in there and being in a lot of debt. And all of a sudden, we started getting a lot of questions. How'd you do this? How'd you do that? And it's kind of like, you know, when you come from the journalism world, you keep a lot of stuff to yourself. You don't share your secrets or whatever because somebody else might take it or take your work away. That's the way we were kind of trained. And so I would always write these stories down. Literally for the last five years or so, five or six years, I'd write these stories, all these interesting things that have happened and all the lessons that I learned. And uh, I came up with this title, Freelance to Freedom, years ago. Um, I wrote it down. I told people about it. Everybody, everybody liked it. Um, but never really thought I could write a book. You know, I'm not, I'm not a writer. Um, so we were on vacation two years ago, two years ago, like right now, December, we took a month long vacation to Padre Island in Texas as a family. And, and I was kind of just uncomfortable and this thing was been hanging over my head. And my wife said to me, she goes, I'm taking the kids to the beach today. She goes, I want you to go to the coffee shop and start writing the book. I'm tired of you talking about it. Start (laughs) writing. And I was like, okay. So it was really just what we had learned over 22 years of going through what I think 
so many people went through or are going through because this is not a rags to riches type of thing. This is a lot of grind and a lot of hustle and a lot of struggles. And, you know, I'd seen a lot of stories, you know, like the Tony Robbins, like he went from making 38,000 to a million like that. And then he's, I'm like, I want to know how you got from here to there. I don't care about a million plus, to be honest with you. I wanted to know how somebody making 60 grand can go live a life of time and money freedom, like that type of thing. So I said, okay, well, we've kind of done that. So why don't we write? And it's uncomfortable writing the hard stories, but it's a lot of embarrassing stuff, a lot of mistakes we made and the lessons that we learned. And that's pretty much how it came about. That is great. And you know what? You said, uh, I'm not a writer, but man, you sent me this book like uh, 48 hours ago and I flew through the whole thing. You have an incredible way of writing, a great storyteller. So just just kudos on, on putting that together in oh, such a fun you. fashion, man. Thank you very much. Absolutely. Well, let, let's give people a little background on this awesome story. So you, you've got the freedom that you're enjoying right now with your wife and your kids and you're able to kind of craft your day, like you said. But you didn't always have this freedom. So talk me through some of the early times. Where, where did you grow up? Yeah, I grew up in a bad mental place, I'll tell you that. <laughs> I, I grew up, um, I literally was, I was one of the worst students you can imagine. I never cared about school. Um, I never thought it would suit me. It never felt like, like literally at my high school, um, my guidance counselor asked me, like, you know, all, like, all everybody from, I grew up in Long Island in New York. We're an affluent area. We weren't one of them, but we were in the school with them. And everybody was going to Harvard or Yale or these Ivy League schools. And I was like, I wasn't even passing high school. So I pretty much, you know, I watched my dad's business collapse while I was a teenager. It really, really separated us as a family. It was really difficult. I had a 1.9 GPA into graduation. I found out the day before graduation that I was even graduating. And I, my, my guidance counselor said, what do you want to do? And I said, I just don't want to wear a tie. Is what I told her. And she was so mad at me, but I'm like, but I'm really serious. Like, I don't know what I'm doing right now. And, and I think back on it, like, we make our kids decide at 17 or 18, like, basically the biggest decision in their life. And I was the dumbest I ever was when I was 17 or 18. And you want me to make this decision. And I wasn't smart enough to know this then, but I kind of had an intuition of like, this is not the time to figure this out. Like, I got to just get out of this school. I, 12 years, I just want to leave and do something else. And I did. I screwed around for five years and I got arrested. I was, I was, I was kind of a thief. I'm actually writing a story about that today. I was, uh, you know, I, I had a very, just, just some troubles, like just in terms of morals and figuring stuff out. What did and you I get got arrested for? Stealing tapes, cassette tapes. Tapes? Yeah, I remember tapes. I do remember I, tapes, yeah. I used to get the single tapes back in the day when those were popular. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I worked in a record world that was actually a store oh. uh, distributor mm-hmm. and I didn't even do it for myself. It was almost just kind of the, the thrill of I did it for myself. Yeah. So I would kind of, I learned how to, you know, I could take one or two and then I took more and I t- then I got, I left for a day. I don't think I've even told the story. I left for a day to go hang out with my girlfriend, I took the day off and I came back and next thing I know I'm being asked to go into the office and I'm like, what's going on? I'm like, well, we kind of saw this case like where i kept the tapes i was gonna take for my friends because i would literally take requests they'd be like i want white snake i'm like okay i'm putting everything in the box right <laughs> and I would, so every day i would take them out to, I was, it was so stupid and uh so they said yeah the police are on the way and oh my God. 
And um, and they 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 made fun. They were laughing at me. They were like, "What do you?" And they they said like, "I'm sitting there, it's eighteen year old, you know, pimple faced kid." And they're like, so, and "They knew it was." They go, "What are you majoring?" And I said, "Criminal justice." And they started laughing. <laughs> oh, they're like, "Good luck with that one in the future." They're just having a great. And they were gonna make put me on display. They put me in handcuffs and led me. They could have led me out through the back door. They led me right through the entire showroom for everybody, every other employee to see. All the employees that were asking you to steal for them. <laughs> No, the employees weren't. It was my oh, friends. Oh, your, your friends. Okay. Yeah. So they, I still remember all their faces that I walked through and I was being trying to cool, smiling, but I was like, oh my. And so, but the thing is I didn't learn. Like I, I had a, a, a job at a convenience store where I did the same thing. I was like, we would all overcharge. It was really terrible, right? But it was like a dollar at a time. We didn't think anything of it. And then I woke up in the middle of the night. I was 22 years old, living with my parents in a deep sweat. And it was this old lady that had questioned me on like overcharging her. And literally her face in my nightmare saying, I got you. She said, like, I got you. I finally got you. And I woke up in like this literally dead sweat. And I went downstairs. I'm like 22 years old. And I'm a thief. And I've done nothing with my life. And I'm like, it's the first time I ever questioned it. I, like, what am I doing with my life? And really distraught. My dad came downstairs. And we didn't get along. He didn't want me there. My mom was the only one that wanted me. I didn't have any money. And, uh, and he was, it was so kind. He was like, what's the problem? He asked me and he just like, it was nothing. He said, well, you like traveling. You like taking pictures. You're a big sports fan. He goes, why don't you take a class and try to be a photographer? And I was like, photographer. I'm like, it's the first thing that ever sounded cool to me. Everything else like accounting. I'm like, just please. No, I don't want to do anything like that. Um, it sounded cool. So I'm like, all right, I'm probably going to fail. I failed at everything else I've ever done. But at least this will be something cool that I could say I failed at. That's literally was my mindset. It was, and uh, so I went all in. I bought a camera the next day. I, I enrolled at Nassau Community College, and it was the, and and from that point on, I said I have a drive and a focus and a purpose. And lived that my night, my life changed like that night. Everything. That's great. And then you started to make that your your path and your career at that point, right? Yeah, I would, I would, but nobody would hire me. You know, I wasn't I wasn't good enough at all to be everybody. And that's the funny thing now with like. You know, Instagram, everybody's a photographer now. And it's so much <laughs> easier just to take a, a decent picture. Back then, you actually had to do, like, things to actually make the picture, you know, your exposure. Like, now it's all, you know, it, it's hard. It's still always going to be harder to have a top level, but now it's so much easier to break in. Mm-hmm. Then it was like, you know, no, I, I sent out 100 applications for internships and got rejected by every one of them. Wow. Free internships. So I would go to different baseball games, Yankee games, and Met games, and I would sneak down to the front row, and I would take pictures, and I would – Asked the photographers in the front, like what they did and what their settings were and how I ever get a job in this or an internship. And they would just, some of them would give me a lot of good advice. Some of them would ignore me. Most of them would ignore me. Um, but that basically went on for about a year and a half until I got an internship with the, with the National Hockey League, Bruce Bennett Studios, which was a team photographer. And that turned into a, a, a paid internship. So at first, my nickname was, what was it? I was the Vintern. <laughs> <laughs> the Vintern. I like and then I got yeah, then I got upgraded to minimum wage. So Joe Lazito, who's just so witty, he goes, Okay, now you're minimum wage. I'm like, all right. All right. What's gonna happen when I actually start making money? So uh so yeah, that's how it started. So and then I got an internship at Newsday in New York and then I started getting published in national magazines and then it started I, I won the William Randolph Hearst National Championship at college when I went back to, like it really started snowballing. I wasn't making a whole lot of money, but I knew that this is where it was going. So that was my shift. So, and then, so it's yeah. funny because you had, I mean, you might have you might have thought of it was, um, you know, a failure at that point of, hey, I didn't know what to do. I didn't want to wear a tie. But early on, you chose a path to pursue something you were passionate about. A lot of people don't do that. So 
I mean, it's almost the opposite of, of some folks that'll get the job to get the pay, but don't like it. You started the opposite way where you're going to follow your passion. Maybe it's not going to pay a lot in the beginning, but down the road, it's going to pay off, right? That's exactly what, because I, I saw way too many people, as dumb as I was at 17 or 18, I saw these things. I saw my boss at different jobs. They were 40 years old and they were miserable. Hmm. And they were doing exactly what they were told to do. Go to college, get the job, get the benefits, get the security. And I'm like, that sounded so boring and frightening to me that I was like, I'd rather live on less and do what I want to do. What I learned, and that's a big process of this book, but if you take that approach, the money then comes more than you'd ever imagine. Because when you're passionate about something and you're going to put yourself into it, that's going to that's gonna attract to you. I, I didn't know that part would happen. I knew that I wouldn't be a slave to somebody else, even if I was making 20 grand a year. Mm-hmm. I knew that. Um, but I think the best thing that ever happened to me was even with that or later on when I got the newspaper job was I, I never got paid enough money that I felt trapped. And I think a lot of people get paid so much money that they feel trapped and they don't even think it's a lot of money anymore. You know, a lot of people I know that are making 90 grand or 110 when they first got the job would have thought it's awesome. And now they're like, I can't even live on that because they've extended their lifestyle to that. And that's that's what I call the 18 to 35 trap in the book. Yeah. And a lot of people are there. And I'm trying to help it. Yeah. Well, that makes a lot of sense. So you, 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 we're, we're, we're in that store. You're getting into photography and you're starting to see some success. Not making a ton of money, but you're starting to see some success. And you meet a lovely lady along the way. Can you tell us a little yeah. bit about that? Yeah, I was at school. I went I along the way, you know, when I was at Newsday, I was like, how do I how do I advance this career? And Chuck Bennett, who's my photo editor, was just a great sports editor. And he gave me the card of of uh, Ohio University for journalism. They said, This is the place to go if you want to, you know, advance. It was good and bad. Um, the good part was meeting my wife. That was the best part. The bad part was it I kind of went back into the path of everybody else looking for employment. So and, and Elizabeth was on the same path. She had been told, you know, go to college and, you know, get the degree so you can get the full-time job. So I was, so we were both on that path that I was trying to avoid 10 years earlier or, or eight years earlier. Um, so we both graduated. I mean, we, we met a year and a half before graduation and we just hit it off right away. We were inseparable from, from, from the start. I just knew this was, this was special. Um, and so we were together all through school and we got jobs together in Evansville, Indiana at the same newspaper which was just phenomenal. So it was like, and we told them, we, we said we are a package deal. Like if she was going to get a job somewhere and she actually interned, she actually applied in Detroit, Detroit news. And I said, I'll go and I'll freelance there. I freelanced before you get, she wanted the steady job. So I said, if you get the steady job, I'll follow along and I'll freelance. I'm cool with that. Mm-hmm. She didn't want to do that. And I get that. Um, but we wound up both getting so fortunate. Evansville, Indiana had two openings. I had just won the William Randolph Hearst national championship. So all of a sudden I'm desirable, right? And I'm like, where were you guys all these years when I was, you know, trying? Now I win one award and people want to hire me. So we use it to our advantage. We, we both got the job and she's awesome. She's a better photographer than I am. Um, she's taught me so much. So we got the job and now we were in Evansville, full-time jobs, you know, uh, bought a house. And that's when we kind of started being like everybody else. We, you know, bought a house, we bought a car, car payment, and we had student loans and started furnishing the house with credit card debt. And all of a sudden I woke up and I'm like, what are we doing? I, I was, it was, it, to most people would be like, this is like the American way. I got frightened by it. Hmm. Yeah, so you started getting all this, um, all the debt, 
and all the accumulations that come with that. Yes, it's things that we need or you know want really. Yeah. Um, what what sort of snapped you into uh, into action then at that point? Yeah, I, I was uh, on assignment in Illinois. We would go to Southern Illinois for these little rinky dink assignments. It's the middle of nowhere, and I heard this radio show. I heard this guy talking Southern accent talking about money. This is two thousand three, right? And two thousand three, two thousand four. And, uh, and, you know, I'm into sports and music. I'm like, what am I listening to this for? This sound, you know, but it was interesting. It was very interesting. It was about like relationships and how that affects your health and, and the money. And then I finally figured out it was this guy named Dave Ramsey. I'm like, I've never heard of this guy before. So I asked my coworkers. Nobody had heard of him. So I would volunteer for these assignments because he was only on the radio there, but not where we were in, in Indiana. So I'd go every day to Southern Illinois and I'd listen to this show. That's why. I, and I'd shoot my assignment. I'd listen to it. It was so interesting. And, uh. So we got like on board. My wife wasn't really on board with it because you got to cut your lifestyle and that's hard. And but I was down with it. And it wasn't until we bought his book and read it that I was like, we have to do this. So we went. I went gung ho. She went passively into it, and that's that's essentially how it started. That sounds so familiar, my friend. <laughs> Everybody that I talk to, there's a spouse that doesn't agree and a spouse that's on board. Yeah. And Figuring that out was our key. Hey, everyone. This episode is sponsored by Student Loan Hero. Right now, you're hearing Vincent talk about his ability to battle through his debt and give his family the freedom they deserve. One easy way to destroy your student loan debt is by refinancing or consolidating your loans. Student Loan Hero is the place to make that happen. They can hook you up with the best banks and get you the lowest interest rates possible. When asked about her experience with Student Loan Hero, Tara from Wayne State University said, I went from a private loan with an interest rate of 9% APR to a new student loan with 4% APR. Student Loan Hero saved me a ton of money. Let's save you a ton of money like Tara. Go to studentloanhero.com to learn more or check out the link in the show notes of this show. Let's jump back into our conversation with author Vincent Puglisi. So you, you were both working at the paper and uh, making you know decent money together. You started to have some kids at this point, right? And then the, the cost started to pile up? Yeah. we uh, At the same time, Elizabeth got pregnant with Andrew. Good name, right? Yeah. And, uh, and, but at the same time, I had just I – was, I was photographing now the Super Bowl. I had just photographed some big events. We were both doing great stuff. She had just won this international award. I had just won international sports photographer of the year. We got both of us got flown to DC to Geographic for the award ceremony. Really, you know, cool stuff. And we have a baby on the way. And I get my review, my annual review. And this is where I was like, this is where you're going to get the money. You know, you have a baby. I'd heard this from over and over again. I was like, okay, I need the money. I have a baby. I need a nice jump. And I was hoping for ten percent, even though I was only making thirty-two grand. To me, at that point, ten percent would have been the be-all end-all. I look back on that. I'm like, wow. Um, so I go for my review and they, they run down all of my accomplishments. There was nothing negative. It was all like just killing it, killing it, killing it. And my boss, Bruce, took his glasses off. He rubbed his eyes and he's like, we can only give you 3%. He's like, we tried to give you four, um, but there's just not the money. Most people aren't getting anything, but you're getting, you did all the stuff. And I remember getting so angry. I was just so angry. I, I looked at him and I said, you know, 3% of your salary might be something, but 3% of nothing is still nothing. I said that to him I'm because like, I didn't even care at that point. I was yeah. so – and I remember saying to him, I said, no matter what I do, no matter how many awards I win, no matter how hard I work, no matter how much overtime I work for free, and I couldn't even finish the sentence. I was so just 
boiling. And I got up. I didn't say anything. I stood under his doorway. And I remember saying to myself, it's over. So this career as it is, is over. Like, we can't do this. I, can't, I looked at everybody in the newsroom. I knew it was just going to be frustration for the next 25 years. Um, so I went home. And, and that's where the story, like with my dad. I don't know if you want me to tell that. that was, yeah, sure. That was, um, I went home and, and I called my dad to see if I can get some work from him. Because I used to work for his business. And he said, no. Right, right that night. Thanks, dad. Like, he's like, um, he goes, I'd have to retrain you. Uh, with do it in person, you're 15 hours away. He was in New York. And he goes, you didn't like working here anyway when you worked here before. He said, I said, I basically said it's for the money. And he said something to me that changed my life. It's second time, you know, 10 years earlier with, with, you know, where I was, he said to me, he goes, I've been telling this for years. You haven't listened. He goes, you have a skill, but you're not using it correctly. He goes, you're willing to accept $32,000 for security, but you have a skill that you can do weddings you could do corporate work you could do portrait headshot you could do so many things where you get to name your price and your time and you're giving all that up for this money and the security he's like you gotta start a business and i didn't know anything about business how do i know about business i never read a business book i'm an employee um so we decided right there i called a bunch of wedding photographers to see if i could you know assist them and they all said no and i took the phone book and I threw it against the wall. And they always say, like, if you can't beat them, join them. I said, well, if you can't join them, I'm going to beat them. And I got – so first time I was not scared, I was, I was angry at this point. Like, okay, I'm done with this. So we started our business. That Knowing nothing, we decided to start our business that day. So this was both you and your wife working together as photographers uh, in a side hustle per se, right? Yeah. Yep. Side hustle before was actually called a side hustle. Yeah. Now, now it's, now it's now a hip term, right? Now it's in the dictionary, I guess. But yeah. <laughs> Nobody called it a side hustle. We called it paying for diapers and formula. That's what we called it. Exactly. Uh, yeah, scraping by to get it to to be able to you know meet your needs uh, with 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 the life that you guys have built with your your wife and your family. So so what was it like to work with your wife and your side business? We we're fortunate. You know, we went to college together. We were in we were in classes together. We worked on projects together. We got hired the same newspaper together. Um, we started our business together. For us, it was seamless. Seamless as it could be for working with somebody like me. Like she's the nice one, right? I'm the driver. So I could be much more of a pain. Um, so there was a lot of growing pains. I don't want to, I don't want to sugarcoat like, Oh, this is great. We've been able to do it. We've had to, but the thing is I, I recommend it. I highly recommend it because we've grown more in a relationship. We've learned more about each other by being in a business together than we ever would have just being, I hate to say just, but just being married. Cause we've had to deal with things that most people don't have to deal with. Yeah. Because you can leave it at work and come home and kind of pretend a little bit. Like we had to – every aspect of our personality, we've, we've changed and improved. That was a problem by working together as a business. So um, when I look back on it, I think us running a business together is what's really made us be able to do as a family what we've been able to do. That's, That's great. just my And then you, uh, you guys were able to start really developing some solid income from this eventually, right? Yeah, amazingly, yeah. I mean, I don't know, you know, because when you come into the world as a journalist, you are not a sales. You're not in the sales. You know, you figure once you get your – once they hire you, that's the last sale you're ever going to do. Mm-hmm. Now I'm going to take pictures the way that I want to do it. So to have somebody agree to hire us was really uncomfortable for us. Like charge them money? Like no, my boss is supposed to write me a check. I don't want to charge you any money. So we start off really low priced, giving everything away. You know, those are the people that will take advantage of you the most if you're starting a business. Um, what's funny about it is as our prices, you know, fast forward, I'll come back to it. But as our prices got higher, we became the most expensive ones in our town. We learned what 
everybody was stunned with was those were the best clients to have. Hmm. Not because of the money, because they were the ones that they would hire us, they'd write a big check, and they'd say, we trust you, do your thing. Yeah. It was the ones that paid the least amount that nitpicked and bugged us and harassed us and complained. Mm-hmm. I, I was stunned by it. I always thought, oh, you know, the whole like rich, this, no. They were the best ones. The venues were better. The food that we got to eat was better. Everything was better. And I was like, I would never would have known that. So that's what we learned a lot. We learned a lot of that along the way and how to get there, how to interact with these people, how to get them to trust you, how to do the work that's really going to stand out. Like these are all the things that really went into even writing this book because there's so many people in what I like the five phases, what I call phase one, which is escaping the seeds of discontent, which is 80% of the population is unhappy with their job. And the majority of them want to do something else. And now this day and age, so many people want to do something on their own. But nobody really knows how to do it. Nobody controls their money enough, which I think is such an underrated factor of this. It's not about just what you could bring in. Because so many people focus on income. But there are lottery winners time after time after time that make $7 million, $12 million, $20 million, and they go broke. Now, if they can't handle it, what makes you think you're going to be able to do it if you don't learn this? Like there, you know, if you don't learn the skills and the delayed gratification and how to do these things in certain ways, you know, you can make 200 grand, but you'll still be spending like you're making 250 or 300. That's what happens to so many people. So I want, you know, that this is like photography at one point was real big passion of mine. This is, this is a passion of mine right now. That's great. That's great. Well, and, and as, as you were building that income, uh, through your side business and, and now what you're doing now, you guys were really able to plug away at the debt that you had, right? How, how much debt did you have to begin with when you started this whole journey together as a couple? Yeah, it's funny because like, I think every year that I'll tell a story, it'll seem less less uh, great because the numbers, you know, but it was 140 grand and that was including our house. That was 2000. Wow. That was 2004. But what we decided was, you know, when, when we decided Elizabeth was going to leave the job, right? That's when, at that point, we started the business. We mm-hmm. said, not yet, not yet, but like, so she never really came back except for part-time a little bit after Andrew was born. But what we decided was this. We said, we're going to live off of my salary, which was 32 grand. It was a lot of money, you know, with the baby. But what we were going to do was we knew what we wanted. We wanted this freedom. We wanted time freedom. We wanted money freedom. We didn't care about wealth. It wasn't about stocking our 401k and having $7.8 million at retirement. Like, no, we wanted to live from 30 to 70. And not want to wait till 70. We wanted, but it wasn't about stuff. It was about time. That was the big difference. So you don't need that much to get that time. You just need to clear up all those money nets that all of us take on unintentionally. And once you clear that away, we learned that we can live off of 32 grand a year. People get stunned when they say that. Like, if you have no debt and you and you, you can pretty much do whatever you want. And I think that's so hard for this culture to understand because we're being sold every second of the day. Um, so we decided to live off of my salary and we we're going to pay down the debt with any of the business money. Hmm. So it was a twofold thing. It gave us incentive to grow the business because now as the, the higher the business goes, our rates go, our jobs go, the quicker the debt goes down. But at the same time, now the business is becoming successful. So what happened was we had three and a half years of struggle. One of them was real struggle. 2007 was the biggest, but because we worked ourselves to the bone. But what happened was once we had quit our job and we had paid off all the debt, now all of a sudden, almost overnight, we are now probably the highest paid photographers in our town with no debt. You talk about flipping it around. Now we have 
we only have to work 30 days out of the year if we need to, and we don't have any money issues. So when the stock market collapsed in 2008, when everybody lost it, we were like, whatever. We're going to go on vacation. We're cool. Um, and then it all came back, and we never lowered our prices, and we never bargained. We just did our thing. And so you know, when people go, ah, I don't know if I could do this. I don't know if I really want to go through the sacrifice. I don't try to convince anybody because you can't help somebody that doesn't want to be helped. Yeah. But something's going to happen again like it happened in 2007, right? It's going to happen. But the difference between us and everybody else, for the most part, was we were prepared for it. And you prepare during the good times. So when the bad times come, you're ready to – because once the bad times come and everybody else is getting hit and they lower their prices, you don't have to. It even elevates your business more. So I love it. I love the story about you know taking control, having some real drive with your goals, crushing the debt, and then moving. Eventually, you moved this from just a side hustle to hey, we're gonna be we're gonna be done with our with our jobs. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. So we quit like it was really nothing. Like every panics over it. Like we were like, okay, when is it? Like April, March, like, oh, let's wait till the end of the winter because, you know, winter's – so we set a date and our bosses knew. Everybody knew. They saw what we were doing. Like my energy, I'll be honest, it wasn't in my job anymore. Yeah. You know, it, it was there. Um, so when we quit, it was like – I remember coming home and Elizabeth was holding Nolan, our second uh, – you know, he was born – he was like six months old and she just she goes, freedom. Just a big smile, gave me a big kiss. And I was like from that point on, like nobody's controlled. It's been 10 years this August and we've controlled our schedule. So, you know, with our three boys, like – we won't look back on this and be like, we weren't here. Yeah. There's times that, you know, the business takes over mentally. Yeah. There's always struggles. I don't want to paint this out to be like, you know, rainbows and unicorns, but, but we get to be together. Yeah. You know, we're taking a three month trip after the book launches out West as a family. Like, this is what we dreamed of. And so we wanted to build that. And that's, it took the sacrifice to get there. That's incredible. And you've got young children that are going to remember these times with their father and their mother um, th- for their whole life. So that's incredible, man. Very cool. Thank you. Well, let's let's inspire some people. You've got some advice in your book. Uh, we won't go through all the details right now because we'd love for people to pick it up and learn a little bit more. Uh, but you review those five stages. You started to touch on one of those stages in our conversation, but would you mind review- reviewing the five stages of freelance to freedom that you've got outlined in your book? I think that would uh, give people just a high-level understanding of uh, what they could expect. Yeah. Well, the first half of the book, which was really was, was supposed to be the whole book, was our story. It was our story that we went through. And then I realized, my, my goodness, there's so many lessons that I couldn't put into that part. So I started writing a second half. So it's almost like a play. Like there's a first half and there's a second um, with the intermission in the middle. And so it, came, <laughs> it originally started out as four phases. And it's really interesting because the first phase was, like I mentioned, it was escaping the seeds of discontent. And this is all of the things that you struggle with when you're in this mode of, I have a job that I don't like, I'm in debt, there's something that I want to do, it's not another job. You know, this isn't for people that just wanna go from one job to the next. This is for people that know that they wanna control their time and they wanna control their money and they wanna be able to do what they want with their lives. And how do you do that? How do I do that when I have a job that I depend on and I have kids and I have no time and I have debt? And, and on top of it, I'm out of shape and I feel tired. Like that's essentially, where it comes from. So I go through the different things to think about, to learn, to practice, to study, to get you from at least thinking about and starting a side business. And it's not technical. This is not a technical book like how to. This is, I mean, things like, um, for instance, television or things that distract us. It's like the question I get, like Larry interviewed me for his podcast, Larry Hagner. He said, what about people that have no time? And I pretty much just said to him, I said, 
the average American spends five hours a day watching television or surfing the internet. And I didn't say anything else. And he kind of looked at me and he was like, ugh. Because what you have to do is eliminate the excuses because that's, that's what holds us back. It's not your boss and it's not your money. It's your excuses that I, like you said, I need this. My kids need ballet lessons. My kids do not need ballet lessons. They do not need Little League year-round and practice. We've made that a want. And then when you go into it and all the neighbors are doing it, how do I say no and you know hurt their feelings? Like, no, they'll be fine. They'll survive. Like I didn't do year-round Little League with private training. And, you know, I'm five, nine and a half. The chances of my kids going pro are very slim. So I'm not going to go and say, okay, we're going to now put all of our time and effort and money into them playing sports when they love catching bugs and going on trips with dad and going fishing and stuff like that. So it's like, I think we get into these cultural black holes that we accept as normal, like two car payments for every, you need a car payment, right? You, you absolutely need a $570 car payment. <laughs> That is the American way. Well, that's what holds you back. Chris Gillibo says, he goes, most people, it's the greatest line. He goes, most people trade their dreams for a car payment. And he talks about how he traveled the world on $30,000, which is essentially what people have with a $500 car payment for 84 months. Hmm. So when you start knocking down these cultural norms and you realize, oh my God, I'm being like everybody else. And it's not my job or my money. It is me and my decisions and what I've considered normal, not just me, but me and my spouse. And not just me and my spouse, but me and my spouse and my, my our in-laws and our parents who have taught us this in a lot of ways. Nothing against any in-laws, but it's true because um, we fought a lot of that. A lot of the family making fun of what we were doing while we were paying off debt. We were the odd ones. We were the weirdos. And we were, but we knew what we were going to do. And uh, luckily it worked out and we can you know, hopefully inspire a person or two in terms of doing the same. Excellent. So, Very cool. That was, I think that was stage one. <laughs> that was that was phase yeah exactly and there's there, yeah. phase phase two is essentially the, the side hustle where you start the business it's the learning curves that you go through while starting your first business and this is not like you know technical stuff it's it's very it's practical it's it's information I think can really help that we learned so you're going from side hustle to earning some money what to do with it how to avoid pitfalls what pitfalls we went through in terms of insurance. And taxes and mistakes that we made along the way that we learned from. Um, and then phase three is the optimized freelancer. It's when you start optimizing that business. Instead of going from the low-priced one that's taking the jobs that you don't want or dealing with you know, all these issues that are struggling, now you start optimizing all these different things. Where your rates go up, your clients get better, better your clients get better, your you understand the tax codes, because as self-employed, you need to understand the tax codes to how that you can take advantage of that legally, because it's all set up for you. I mean, the tax codes are basically written by self-employed people. Like that's how they're, you know. So why, why not take advantage of that? Um, so that, and then phase four is freedom. It really comes to where you now you've paid off your debt or getting close to it. You've built a business that's thriving. You've created created time, and this is the most important part because I could never do anything well when I was stressed with time or money. I couldn't think of ideas. I was just so needing to pay the bills, mm-hmm. right? Or you know, fund these things. When you start doing these things, when you pay down your debt, when you make a big emergency fund, when your rates are higher, then you get also time freedom, which you know, which is the most important thing. So when you get the time freedom, then you get the ideas and the mental clarity, and that's when the big things start to happen. Is when you get the mental clarity, and then phase five is basically Independence Day every day, where you get to do what you want to do 
when you want to do it, where you want to do it. That's phase five. That wasn't even in the book originally. That took shape as this all came about. I'm like, oh my goodness, this is possible too. So that's an overview of it. I love it, man. That's great. Well, that's very inspiring. And I'm sure a lot of people are feeling at least who have listened to this entire interview are probably feeling the same way about what maybe what could they do in their lives to create some more freedom. And uh, I, I bet they're very inspired by this conversation today. So besides besides going out and grabbing this book, which we'll talk about in just a moment, what's one action that we could leave with everybody today who is maybe interested in getting uh, their side hustle kickstarted? Oh, there's so many. Oh, so I should be better prepared. Like if they're cause... listening in the car right now or listening at home, and they say, okay, I'm going to make some action today. Like, what's what's the one thing that you'd say, okay, do this today? Okay, I'm going to give you two. Go I'm for it. First of all, it's just kind of overview practical. What, what you're going to get with most everybody in that situation, and us included, and it happens often, is overwhelm, which is basically, I don't know what to do. Either there's too many ideas or there's not enough ideas. It's one or the other. But if you have too many ideas, then you just don't even know where to start. And if you don't know anything, you basically just give up and it's just easy to go back to getting a job. And what I do every day, if I'm doing well, it's not every day, but I try to, is be better than yesterday. And you read it in the book that when you take the whole be better than yesterday approach, you will outpace everybody eventually. And it doesn't mean – because most, some people get desperate. I need to start a business today. No, you don't. You need to get your contacts. You need to figure out your network, who you can go help. Because so many people, when they're starting a business, they're thinking about themselves, what I need. And nobody cares about what you need. I mean, this is what nobody cares. They care about what you need when you've helped them. Mm-hmm. And everybody's like, people that call us up, I need this. I'm like, I'm not being a jerk, but like, oh, can you get me? Like, I shoot pro sports. Yeah. Get me on the sidelines of the Steelers game. I haven't heard from you in four years. And, I'm, and, and, and you're going to be my assistant? No. The guy that's going to be, or the girl's going to be my assistant, somebody that I've been in touch with. Mm-hmm. right? That has kept in touch with my life when they've been in my life when they didn't need anything. And that's the biggest problem with people starting businesses. They need it so badly. Buy my book. I don't want to buy your book, right? Nobody cares about your book unless your book can help them. And that's where so many people go. So the whole be better than yesterday, grow your network, build your network before you need it. That's what I preach often. It's what I teach often. It's You can't just come around to somebody when you need somebody. You need to be always giving. And the other thing is, which I think is practical, very helpful, it, and was for me, was the whole acres of diamonds part of it. Because if you're being employed by somebody else, you have a skill that is also applicable, applicable in the open market. Because if somebody's willing to pay you 80 grand for that, I'm sure you could find a way to use those skills and talents on your own. But most people look for somebody else to do it. So when you start just thinking, oh my goodness, could I do some aspect, maybe not exactly that job. But can I do some aspect of what I know and my skills and what it is that I could bring? Can I do that in some way for one person? Now, if you can do that for one person, even if it's for free to start, and I'm not against that to start. You've got to get going. You've got to get momentum and you've got to get referrals, testimonials. You start and then you figure out what to charge and you go from there. But if you're employable to begin with, it's very easy for you to become unemployable like I am right now. Like I'll never get hired again because – I'm so unemployable because I will get fired within five minutes of a job because I want to do things the way that I want to do it. Um, But that's just grown for me. I think that's actually a good term. So, yeah, I think when you find that acres of diamonds, which is something that you already know that you are, you know, that you can actually produce profit from that you do for somebody else, that you can do that for yourself. And once you can get over that barrier, 
I think the world starts opening up for you. I love this, man. This is inc- incredibly inspiring. You're inspiring me personally. Thank you very much, Vincent, for your time today. Where can people find this book? Oh, Amazon, Barnes & Noble. It's it's January 2nd. Um, it'll be out. Not sure if this will be out by then. Um, if they want to connect with me, the Freelance Tribe is is my website. We have you know we have a free Facebook community, the Freelance to Freedom Tribe, and we also have like a membership site coming where I will give guidance and coaching throughout that. So there's a lot of cool stuff going on. But the Freelance Tribe or anywhere where they sell books, you'll be able to find Freelance to Freedom. Excellent. Well, I'll definitely put it in the show notes for everybody to grab. By the time this show is live, it will be out. So everybody grab that book today and uh, find your way to freedom, everybody. It's very exciting. Thanks so much for taking the time with us, Vincent. I really appreciate it. Thank you, buddy. Appreciate it. He was dedicated. He was focused. He did not let up until he achieved freedom for his family. Vincent is currently traveling around the country on a book tour, but he's not traveling around with his agent or flying solo. No, he is driving around these fine United States in a car with his family. He wants them to experience the country and the excitement of this book launch, too. It's all about priorities, right? What's most important to us? We have to continue to ask ourselves that as we do all this hard work to improve our finances. For Vincent, it's owning his time and creating lifelong memories with his family. So if we align our daily actions to help us achieve what we want out of life with dedication, perseverance, and support from our loved ones, we'll get there too. Time to announce the Money Master of the Week. Josh from Virginia called in to share his incredible progress in paying down his mountain of student loan debt. Take it away, Josh. Hey, Andy, what's up? This is Josh with Money Life Wax, a personal finance blog. And thanks for letting me join in here on uh, Marriage, Kids, and Money. I think what you're doing is awesome. Uh, Actually, that's one of the reasons why my wife and I started a blog and got serious about our finances was... We wanted to have a marriage and, and also be a sort of a show other people that they can have a great marriage too uh, by taking care of your finances and not having that stress and that burden that we saw our parents deal with. And uh, coming from two divorced families, you know, we were just really honest with our situation growing up and we realized that our student loan debt was not going anywhere. You know, we had a lot of people telling us, oh, pay the minimums, you'll get forgiven, you'll get that. And, you know, that started in 2007, but that public loan forgiveness is coming around now this year, the first time, or it was last year, after 10 years, and they're not forgiving people's loans. And so uh, my wife graduated with $270,000 in student loans. She's a doctor. Um, So she makes good money, yeah, but, you know, we also put 60% of our income after taxes every month towards our student loans. And that's, it's easier said than done, Um, but at the same time, it's short term. You know, we're delaying a lot of things. We didn't take a honeymoon. We're putting about 4500 to 5000 We put all our tax returns and any extra income we get towards our student loans. And we actually use a pretty unique concept that we got from our personal uh, financial planner. And it's called uh, equity optimization. We took a line of credit out against our house, which some people are like, oh, that's really risky. Well, here's the thing. We're just washing debt with debt. I like to say we robbed Peter to pay Paul. We took a forty thousand line out against our house at four percent, and we paid off forty grand of our student loans that that were at eight percent. So we saved a lot of money. We were able to get rid of our car payments that way too, and then we paid that line of credit down in eight months. Actually, we paid it off in six months, only to wash, rinse, repeat again. So we're actually getting ahead of our interest, which is why we're going to be able to, 
and uh, the next 24 months pay the remaining 192000 off in student loans, and then we'll use the same process to pay off our mortgage. So um, I actually wrote a post about it. It's, it's a little in-depth. It's not for everybody. Um, it's viewed as risky sometimes. Dave Ramsey talks about it, but it's been an absolute game changer for us. But for everyone, that what one thing we did that anyone can do is we got rid of cable. We got rid of the gym membership. We, we stopped eating out so much. And it's all the things that everyone normally hears. We rented a room at our house to get extra income. We stopped, like I said, going on vacations all the time and stopped putting, we started putting things on hold and stopped blowing all our money. And we were able to start putting 60% of our income towards our student loans, which allowed us to pay off 57000 last year. Our goal this year is to pay off 75000 So we're going to stay strong. Thanks for letting me join. And you guys have a good one. Thanks. Bye. Josh told me that they started the student debt payoff journey at $300,000. The fact that they are at $192,000 right now is incredible progress. 24 more months to go, my friend. That doctor salary will surely help the progress. <laughs> As Josh mentioned, you can learn more about their ability to crush their student loan debt at moneylifewax.com. Josh, congratulations for being our Money Master of the Week. Do you have a recent financial victory that you want to share on this show? Oh, I would love to hear about it. Please email me at andy at marriagekidsandmoney.com or leave me a voicemail like Josh did at marriagekidsandmoney.com slash voicemail. You'll find all the links and resources for today's show at marriagekidsandmoney.com slash session 66. Next week, I will be sending out the Young Family Wealth Playbook to the Marriage, Kids, and Money community. This is a seven-step guide that encapsulates all of the net worth building lessons that I've learned from the 50-plus guests I've had on this show over the past uh, year plus, 16 months, something like that. Self-made millionaires, personal finance experts, and financial freedom all-stars like Vincent Puglisi have all influenced me when I created this free resource. So if you want to be the First to receive this one, join our Marriage, Kids, and Money community at the top of the homepage at marriagekidsandmoney.com. If you're already a member, you're all set. In the spirit of growth and inspiration, I'm going to end the show with a quote today from Henry David Thoreau. What you get by achieving your goals is not as important as what you become by achieving your goals. Here's to becoming the best versions of ourselves, everybody. Carpe diem. Carpe diem.